You're listening to The Gathering Church Podcast located in Asheville, North Carolina. The Gathering is a place you can belong before you believe. To find out more, visit gatherashville.org. Good morning and welcome to The Gathering Church. My name is John Mark Redwine. I'm the lead pastor. So honored to have you with us here today. Let me just throw some birthday honor out to two places today because uh, that was Pastor Robert Knight that just, just left the stage. And you can tell a lot about a person by how they worship when nobody's watching. How they, what they're like when they're behind the curtain, behind the scenes. And Robert Knight is one of our pastors in in charge of worship and production at the gathering, and he leads worship a lot for us as well. And if you've ever seen Robert lead worship, you know that the man doesn't sit still. He moves all around the stage, and he gets into it. He dances. We we call him, we call him, uh, uh, I was trying to think of a funny nickname, like Twinkle Toes or something. There we go. Twinkle Toes Night is what we always call him at the office. But I walked uh, backstage just now to get ready to come up here, and Robert was back there with not a single person looking at him, all alone, just dancing and praising and giving his heart to the Lord, and that is who he is. That is who he is, and so we're just so honored to have him on this team. He, just, he had a birthday uh, just this past week, and I, I don't even know how old he turned. Robert keeps it a secret. He won't tell anybody. Maybe 35, 36, or 37 in that reign. And then uh, today is Pastor Robbie Denson's birthday. He's not even here, and I told him if he was here, we were all going to sing him happy birthday and have a big cake that he was going to jump out of. But since he's not here, man, Robbie, we love you. We honor you. You are, you, are, you are such an important part of what we do as a church. Robbie is our executive pastor, and anybody that knows all of us well will tell you that Robbie is the one who uh, has the difficult responsibility of taking my scatter brains and putting them together in order to make things happen around here. And so we're so grateful for him. Well, let me, um, uh, as we get going, before I, I get started this morning, share with you just for a moment, we've been talking about our legacy offering. On December 6th, we'll be having our legacy offering here at the Gathering Church, and that is just uh, our year-end giving initiative we do every year, really is a means to accelerate the mission and vision of the church, and uh, that's coming up. And what we, what we usually do in our legacy offering is separate it into a few different areas, really areas of focus. We believe Uh, in giving in a way that is focused so that it has greater impact. Instead of all over the board, we just choose a couple specific areas that we can really invest in. The Dream Center is one we talked about last week, and all you need to do is serve with the Dream Center one time to see the value in that. But today, I want to share with you about uh, an international partner that we're excited about supporting this year, and that is the work and ministry of Rutherford Banda in Malawi, Africa, and I had the honor of meeting him last year. And uh, some people, when you sit down with them, this, the Holy Spirit inside of them is palpable. You can feel it. And that is the truth about being in a room with, with Rutherford. We, we love him so much. This year has been a difficult year across the board for the whole world. And Rutherford this year has still been building wells in villages. 
He has been putting in water filtration systems, installing solar power for schools, planting churches, training church planters, and taking care of widows and orphans. And that is what he does always, with or without support, with or without teams coming in. It is who he is, and it is what he will always do. And so we, we were planning to get out there with a team to start taking trips to see him uh, and be a part of that work this year. And that got sidelined due to COVID. And so we are hoping to be able to help him to finish this year well, to continue to support those works with our legacy offering. And so his ministry in Malawi is our second legacy lane this year. You know, at the Gathering Church, we never want to pressure you into giving. Instead, we would rather just give you the information and share with you and give you time to plan and prepare because we really believe uh, in Paul's words in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, it says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Pastors love to say that last part, God loves a cheerful giver, y'all. Pass that thing around one more time. But we forget about the first part that, that says we should decide in our hearts what to give, that we should take time to pray and consider and plan. And so that is the whole goal of spending a few moments on Sundays this month discussing this, is to help you understand what it is that we believe is worth investing in at the Gathering Church. Well, today... We are doing week two of our series, All That Matters, All That Matters, All That Matters. This is a make a difference series. At The Gathering Church, we have four purposes that we're always pouring into, that we're investing in and in helping people walk along this pathway, and that is that you might know God, that you, you would know him, not just uh, know about him or have knowledge of him, but that you could enter into an actual relationship with God, and then that you might find freedom, that you might find freedom from all the things that you've carried with you all your life, the things that are holding you back, that are blinding you from the purpose that God has for you, and then we want you to discover your purpose. We believe God has a purpose for you, that he has a dream for your life, and we want to help you figure out what that is, and then we want to give you the opportunity to make a difference in that purpose. And this series, and so we work our series, usually kind of play into one of these areas, and this is a make a difference series. I feel that we have spent a lot of time this year talking uh, on Sundays about how we should feel and how we should process. And that's been very important. It's been important for us to think through that and to pray through that and to work through that together. But in this series, our goal is not just to talk about how we should feel, but to talk about what we should be doing. Uh, we, we believe there is still a work to do, and maybe even now more than ever. And so our goal in this series is really to lean into that area of make a difference and talk about exactly what it is we can do. My goal is to help you see that making a difference is all that matters. So today we're going to do that by learning to let go of all that doesn't. The message today is titled Letting Go of All That Doesn't. In his ministry, Jesus often turned the world upside down through his teaching. He taught love and compassion and kindness on a level that people weren't accustomed to. He healed people everywhere that he went, miraculous healings, healings that people weren't used to seeing. And he saw people who were not used to being seen. He made people feel valued and wanted all throughout Judea and in the, the areas that he traveled. And as a result, he would gain masses of followers in every area 
that he visited, every village, every town, every city that he would enter into, a crowd would form because he was irresistible. But any time that crowd would begin to form, he would usually issue a warning. We see it several times throughout Scripture. And it happens in Luke chapter 9, verse 57 through 62, a few stories. It says, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Are you willing to sacrifice your comfort for me? Verse 59, he said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Are you willing to sacrifice your customs, your way of life, even, even some of your relationships for me. And then verse 61, he says, still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Are you willing to understand the urgency of this call? In other words, in order to follow Jesus, You've got to understand that this call, this mission that he's given us is more important than anything else in your life. Jesus does not ask us to make him a part of our lives. He asks us to give him our lives and make him a part of every part of it. And I believe that if we can do that, that if we begin to understand that that's what this is, that's what it is to follow Jesus, that's what it is to be a Christian, if we can begin to understand that, we'll begin to understand that it's worth it for a few different reasons. First, because the gospel is urgent. The gospel is urgent. Our lives are full of big moments, things that change us, define us, things that make us who we are. And those transitions that we go through from child to teenager, we, we all remember the first time that our parents let us stay up, you know, and didn't give us a bedtime. I can remember it very clearly. We all remember those transitions where we felt like we were going from teenager to adult, like the first car, the first time you drive away uh, from your parents' house without somebody in the passenger seat. We remember those transitions from living at home to the freedom of moving out, going to college or starting a career, getting your own place. We remember these defining moments in our lives and the way that they shape us, the way that they change us, marriages, kids, loss. And this year has had some big moments for us. No doubt that this year's events have changed who we are as a people, and it has certainly marked who we are as individuals. But we've got to understand that there, or even just to remember, that there is no bigger moment in somebody's life than the moment they're changed forever by the life-changing message of the gospel. If you follow Jesus, try to remember where you were when he found you in that moment. Well, I remember for me, I was broken, hopeless, and literally at the end of my rope. I needed purpose and meaning. I was lost. And then I encountered Jesus and everything changed. I, I felt like I mattered for the first time in my life. I felt like I could be whole again. I found purpose. I learned that he had plans for me, plans to give me a hope and a future. When I was in the Coast Guard, um, towards the end of my time in, I, I remember that 
I was working with a, a team of guys and some, just like anywhere, but so, some, some of these guys could be a little, uh, we use the term rough around the edges as a way of, of putting endearment to it. But you know, they were a little bit scary to be honest. And there was this one man named Jacob and Jacob had uh, a face that only a mother could love. You know, J Jacob was a, he was a sweet man in a way where he was scary all the time. You know what I'm saying? Like, like he, he always looked like he was just one second away from throwing a punch that would put you down for a long time. That was Jacob. He had sleeve tattoo. And I always say, I tell this part of the story. I've, I, I guess it's not a big deal anymore. I remember it being scary at the time that he had sleeve tattoos coming all the way up his arms. And, and I remember that Jacob was always very intense everywhere that he went. He really seemed confident in who he was. Like he was ready to go. He was ready to do the job. He was one of our law enforcement people for the Coast Guard and he fit the bill well. When he put the uniform on, you were like, this is a man I'm not going to argue argue with. And I, I remember learning Jacob's story through time that we would spend together uh, out under underway on, on the boat doing patrols, driving around in the San Francisco Bay. And I remember learning that, that Jacob had, had grown up in an abusive home. I remember when he nonchalantly said that one day, like it was not a big deal. I remember the time that he nonchalantly told us about the period that he spent homeless as an adolescent and a teenager and the way that he had to learn how to survive in that season. I remember uh, the story of him having to self-emancipate so that he could join the Coast Guard at 17 years old so that he would have a place to go, a, a life to live. And then all the stories of where that life had led him, the, the hard things that he went through as a as a law enforcement member during the war on drugs, serving and, and doing the things that he had to do. And I remember thinking, this is a tough guy. Nobody can, can get through him. Nobody, nobody can affect him or change him. Like, this guy is set in his ways. He's been through it. He's been through a lot. Wow. And Jacob had been through a failed marriage. He had kids that he was not able to see or be in contact with. He just had been through so much. And one day as he was sharing his story, I looked him in the eyes and I just said, man, it sounds like like you've had a whole lot of pain and loss and hurt in your life. And he kind of shrugged it off and said, yeah, man, it ain't, no, it ain't no thing. It's cool. I'm all right. And a couple days later, he came to me and he said, hey, can you tell me more about why you are the way you are? And I said, hilarious and fun to be around all the time? Certainly. It's really just more genetics than anything. He said, no, you're just so... You, you, you seem like you have a peace in your life. Like you have like a happiness that other people don't have. I'd like to know more about it. How come you seem so whole and I feel so broken? And so we went to lunch and we sat at lunch. And as he shared more of his story with me, I talked to him about how I had felt so broken and abandoned and alone. And that a relationship with Jesus restored not just my life, but my soul that for the first time ever, I felt complete. I felt like, like I had a bigger and better future than anything I had ever imagined for myself. And I told him that that was possible for him too, that despite the difficult things he'd been through and the pain in his life and the hurt in his life, he could enter into that same kind of peace in this life. And on a drive back to the car, he said, I don't think I've ever wanted anything more in my entire life. And this tough, gruff, rough and tumble 
guy sat in a parking lot with me crying as he prayed to enter into a relationship with Jesus. And it was a fun transition from there because we brought him to church and Jacob just didn't look like everybody else at the church. And Jacob's face was starting to crack apart as he was learning to smile again. And he began to serve in our nursery in the church because he missed his children and he loved kids and he just wanted to be able to rock babies. And so he, he was the baby whisperer. He would put the babies that nobody else could get under control. We'd give them to Jacob and in his big scary arms, they would fall asleep out of fear immediately. He came alive. He, it was like a different person. He'd come into work, bibbity bopping around, smiling, happy to be there. And people were like, Jacob, what in the world happened to you, man? You were so scary and now you're not. And I know what happened to him because I was there the moment that it changed. I need you to understand that the gospel is urgent. That it is urgent because there are so many people in our lives, in our city, in our neighborhoods, in our places of work that are walking through every day just wondering how they can get to where we are. And as a follower of Jesus, I believe there is no greater cruelty than for us to keep that inside of ourselves. Our role, our goal, our mission is to find as many Jacobs as we can and to speak that life-giving truth into their hearts so that they can be made free and they can understand that they were made for more than where they are right now. This is all that matters. This message is urgent. John 3, 16 and 17, it says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We know this passage, it's, 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 it's one of the most famous passages in all of Scripture. Look at verse 17 and 18. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So many people don't understand that. They see the church and Christianity, they think judgment and, and condemnation, and their truth is so much better. Verse 18 gives the warning. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And so there's, a, there's two parts to this passage that's so famous. And the first part is the hope that it is this simple, that our Father sent His only Son to die so that we could come into eternal life and be in peace and, and be in relationship with Him. But the other side of that is the people who don't have it yet are in trouble. And our role, church, our only mission is to get them out of that trouble, is to bring them this message with everything that we've got. Paul says in Colossians 2.13, when you were dead in your sins, and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive in Christ. He forgave us all of our sins. This is bigger than life and death. I was dead and now I'm alive. I was lost and now I am found. The message that we carry is so urgent. Jesus said in John 9, 4, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day because night is coming when no one can work. The time that we have is limited to carry this message. And, I, and this is, I'm so passionate about this because we can't waste any time. We, we don't know how long we get to bring this hope into as many hearts as possible. And so this moment matters. 
This year matters and, and, and the time that we can share with people online matters and the time that we can share with our, our neighbors being the only people we have access to matters and the time when people's hearts are more receptive to hope because the world is so empty of it matters. We are in a season of urgency because every season is urgent and this gospel message is too important for us to hold it in to ourselves any longer. This message matters. In fact, it's all that matters. And your part is critical. Your part is critical. The mission is the message, and the message is urgent, and your part is critical. You were made with a job to do. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I love the Passion Version's paraphrase of this. It says, We have become his poetry a recreated people that will fulfill the destiny he has given each of us. For we are joined to Jesus, the anointed one. And even before we were born, God planned in advance our destiny and the good works we would do to fulfill it. God has been dreaming of ways that you could be a part of his church, the ways that you could be a part of getting this message out into the world since before you were born. When he formed you, he already had in mind the exact ways that you could be used by him to do something that matters, to make a difference in a way that matters because the church is a body and the body needs all of its parts and that includes you. Romans chapter 12, verse three says, for by the grace, which is in this context, it means gifts given to me. I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. In other words, don't think that you can do it all on your own. See, I think a lot of times we, we hear a message like this where we think about the gospel and we, our mind just starts spinning about the things just me can do. What are, and this is important. You, you need to be working in this, miss, in this mission all the time, 24-7. That is the call to always do it. But we often just think of it in the context of me, me, me. What do I need to do? What do I need to do? What do I need to do? But the Bible says, no, it's a we, 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 we thing. Th that your priority is to find your place in the body so that as the body of Christ, we can be effective together. He says, it goes on in verse four, just as each of us has one body with many members and these members don't all have the same function. So in Christ, we, although many, form one body. And each member belongs all to the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. And so if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. And if it is serving, then serve. And if it is teaching, then teach. And if it is to encourage, then give encouragement. And if it is giving, then give generously. And if it is to lead, do it diligently. And if it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. See, I think we get it in our heads sometimes that, that this, this idea of the gospel and how important it is to get communicated is up to preachers and people like me. But the Bible paints a different picture because the ministry of the church was never meant to be left up to the ministers of the church. It's not meant to be left up to the staff, to the pastors, to the people that we think are the leaders, that it's a we thing, not a me thing. My role, my job is to equip all of us for ministry so that together we can find our spot, our position, our place, our purpose, 
so that we can come alongside one another to be way more effective than one person ever could be. Just like a body, if one part doesn't serve the, punk, the function that it was created with, the health of the whole body suffers. We need your gifts. Our mission is critical and you are a very critical part of it. Number three, you're going to find more than you lose. And Jesus would give these, these speeches, these, these moments, these replies that were a little bit scary at times. It's intimidating to think through what did he mean when, when the guy said, well, let me first go and kiss my mama and tell her bye bye. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. If you put your hand to the plow and you look back, you're not fit for the kingdom. That's an intimidating thing for me because I'm a mama's boy and I would definitely want to go home and give my mom a hug and a kiss goodbye. But the but the the point of the message was that Jesus doesn't want a little bit of you. He wants all of you. He wants you to turn over everything that you have to him. And we hold tightly to a few different things in our lives. We keep our fists closed around some areas because we're nervous about what that could mean. We feel that it's only sacrifice, that it's giving everything up and, and that what we lose may not be, what if it's not worth it? Or, or what if I can't live without it? And I don't know if I can. And, and what, what Jesus wanted us to understand was that the more that we release to him, the more freedom we receive. Jesus tells us to follow him in, in pursuit of all that matters so that we can let go of the things that don't. But we hesitate. We hesitate because we want what we want. We hesitate because life gets in the way. We're focused just on ourselves this year. We're just focused on our own problems right now. We got a lot of lot going on at work, so it's too hard to engage with others right now. Or sometimes, like many of the people following Jesus, when we hear the cost, we're just not certain if we're willing to pay it. And I love the response Jesus gives to that feeling in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. He does it again. And he says, Jesus said to his disciples, if you truly want to follow me, you should at once completely reject and disown your own life. And you must be willing to share my cross and experience it as your own as you continually surrender to my ways. This is the Passion Translation. For if you choose self-sacrifice and lose your lives for my glory, you will continually discover true life. But if you choose to keep your lives for yourselves, you're going to lose what you try to keep. For even if you were to gain all the wealth and power of this world with everything it could offer you at the cost of your own life, what good would that be? And what could be more valuable to you than your own soul? See, I think it's one of the greatest strategies of the enemy to convince us that what we think that we want is more important or matters more or will satisfy us more than what the one who made us is telling us we need. He's created us with this purpose in mind. And when we lose parts of ourselves, parts of our lives, when we sacrifice for him, when we are willing to let go of things so that we can pursue him, we enter into the completion of our creation. We begin to really understand why it is that we're here. I, I like to say that the two greatest moments in somebody's life is the moment he is born and the moment he discovers why he was born. I know too many people with a lot of success the way this world defines success who are still searching for something more because their hearts aren't made whole yet. 
And Jesus says, you are going to have to give up everything to follow me. You will have to release things that you never thought you would have to let go of. But in doing so, you will find more than you knew there was. That is the message of Jesus. There is a cost to letting go of all the reasons we haven't gone all in with Jesus and in the calling that he's given us. And in order to say yes to Jesus and the mission of the church, we have to make sacrifices and do things that are hard or that challenge us, but the cost is always worth what we gain. Because as he says, what good is it to have all the wealth and power, maybe even time, maybe time is the thing you hold most tightly to in this world if you lose your own soul. And we spend all of our lives looking for purpose. It is the great search of humanity. Nobody has ever found it in money, power, influence, or anything else. It only exists in doing what we were made to do, making a difference by serving others and spreading the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And so it, it's time. It's time for us to let go, to open our hands, to go all in, to say yes, not just yes to some, but yes to all, to say yes to everything, to be willing to leave everything and follow Jesus in pursuit of all that matters. Here's how. Practical ways. And honestly, uh, everything that I'm about to tell you, I've been saying thousands of times since we started this church, and it's because I believe this really works. First, you've got to make the mission first. You've got to make it first. And that's easier said than done. It's, it's a lot easier to say, I'm going to make Jesus first in my life than it is to actually go about and do it. And so let me offer you some practical ways, some ways that you can, some practical things that you can start to do to rearrange your life that will help you to begin to give the first of all you are to the one who made you. It's called the principle of the first, and I believe it will change your life. All throughout the Bible, God asks for us to set aside the first part of what we have for him. He asks for it, Old Testament and New Testament, and it's, it's a big principle in the Bible, the principle of the first. We see it in Exodus 23, 19. The first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring to the house of the Lord your God. Or it says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. That's just a couple moments throughout scripture. He just talks about this principle of the first. And so I want to make it really practical for you and give you four areas where you can just surrender the first part of your life to God. And I believe the rest of it will follow. The first is the first of your year that we're coming up. It's all, you guys, we almost did it. 2020 is almost over. And in my heart of hearts, I believe 2021 is going to be awesome. It's going to be great and fun the whole time. I'm declaring it right now in Jesus name. Let's do this. And so 2021 is almost here. And when January rolls around, we have a tradition at the gathering. We believe it's so important. It's a life change. I mean, it, it's, it sets my heart in the right direction every single year. And I hear the same thing from so many people. And we, it's just 21 days of prayer and fasting. So we fast in the beginning of the year as a way of surrendering our year to God, to give him the first part of our year. We give up that season to him and we say, we're going to pray first and we're going to fast first and we're going to give him this first part. 
of our year. And then we give him the first of the week. And I believe that, that this is a principle when you make it a priority. That it's a principle when it becomes something that you move things around in your life to accommodate. That's what a priority is. The principle of the first in the first of the week. Ever since the resurrection, the first day of the week has been a holy day for Christianity. We've set it aside to worship God through the minute. I shared a few weeks ago, we were talking about that first century church and how the Roman government discovered that they were gathering on the first day of the week and they would do it at 5.30 in the morning before the sun ever came up because they had to go to work. There wasn't no weekends in that season. It was so important to them to be worshiping on the first of the week. We give that to God as a way of saying, I want the first part of my week not to represent me, but to represent you. I want it to be something that doesn't provide for me, but something that, that blesses you. And so I give this to you in worship, Father. I come alongside my family and we praise together for all the things you've done in the last seven days and in our lives. And we worship you and give you our attention directly. That is what we believe a Sunday morning gathering does for us. We give him the first of our week. And then I think you need to take it home and give him the very first part of your day. I believe this, this one thing, if you could take, if you don't hear anything I say in this whole message and, and you leave with this one thing and apply it to your life, I believe your whole life will change. Everything will fall in line behind it. Give him the very first part of your day. You can start with something simple. I call it the first 15, the first, give him the first 15 minutes of it. You can afford 15. Come on now. That alarm clock, you, whether or not you know it does, it will go 15 minutes earlier. I promise you. Just try it. It's in the settings. I'll help you figure it out later. But you just, 15 minutes is all. I think if 15 minutes every single day, you can change the course of that entire day. All it takes. Five minutes in worship. That's how I always start. One worship song at least, and it just sets your heart in the right place. Find a song that is not about you, but that's about God. That's worship. And so you find a word, my, my favorite one, and honestly, I've been, I've been listening to this song almost every morning for like three years now, and I'm not tired of it yet. It's What a Beautiful Name It Is by Hillsong, and I just love it. I love it. I love to think about how mighty and powerful and beautiful my God is as I start my day. It gets my heart right. And then I give him five minutes of prayer. I just, I just talk to him. I just say, God, here I am. I'm here again. Here we go. Let's do that. And just pray for five minutes. Just introduce your day to him. Share with him your heart. You know, share with him what you received in worship. Let, the more you do this, the more you'll be, it, the easier it will become. The more it will feel, less it will feel like just, I'm, I go in my closet. And the less it will feel like talking to your clothes in your closet. And the more it'll feel like you speaking to your father who loves you. Five minutes. And then five minutes in scripture, just, I've got a plan that I use and just open it up and, and just spend five minutes studying his word. If you just give him your first 15 minutes, the rest of your day will follow. And before you know it, 15 minutes won't be enough. But you know what? I got to create more time for this. This is, this is changing too much for me. So simple. And then the, the, the last thing is the first, the principle of the first, the first of our finances, the first of our fine. This is so important. Here's why it's the principle of the tithe. And Jesus says, where our money goes, our heart goes. I believe this with all of my heart. And my wife and I have, have, have believed in this principle since long before we were in ministry. And it has blessed us because I believe truly, and I think you can find this all throughout scripture as well, that the final area of our lives that we hold on tightly to and we refuse to release because we find comfort and we find safety and we find some security and some control in this area of our lives is the area of our finances. And what the tithe does is it teaches us to release it, to give God every single area of our lives. 
Even the most sensitive area. We get, we get nervous when people ask us about our money. We check our bank accounts with our phones like this. We're like, don't even look at it. We had them build things around the keypad at the grocery store because we're like, don't even look at my, my keypad here. We protect it farther than anything else because it's one of the areas, I believe, that unseats God's position in our hearts more than anything else. In fact, it says this in Deuteronomy 14, 23, the purpose of the tithe. The Bible says it. The purpose of the tithe is to teach you always to put God first in your lives. That's why at the gathering, we teach it not as, uh, as something that, we, that we, we budget at the bottom with whatever's left over. We believe that as a matter of principle, it's something you take off the top. And it, you don't, if you've never given before, we have a giving ladder that we can teach you about in Growth Track. We, we'll help you move steps up. But I think the most important thing is that it's not coming from the bottom, that it comes from the top. That this is something that I set aside first. It's the first principle of the first. I give, I give out of, this isn't mine. Everything that I have is from him. I'm going to return this portion and then I get to budget the rest. The principle of the first. I believe the principle of the first can change your life. That if you can apply it to your life and you can start to live by these very simple things, that the gospel will become first in your life and we'll start to live like the gospel is urgent. Second thing that you can do, practical to know your part. You got to know your part. You got to, I, you've got to, you can't just rely on me to do your part. You can't rely on your life group leader to do your part. You can't, you've got to know where you fit into the body of Christ. You were born with a purpose. You were born with a job to do. You were given gifts, passions, dreams that your creator placed into you so that he could call them out of you. It says in Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And I believe that the, the promise God declares to Jeremiah can be carried over to you today, that he knew you as he formed you, that he knew where you were going. He knew the purpose he had for you and the dreams that he had for you as he put you together the things that you love, the things you're passionate about, the things that you've always liked to do, the things you've always been good at, the ease you have in making people feel comfortable, the way that you understand what people are going through in a way that others don't, your ability to speak to groups of people, your ability to gain insight into a, a text, your love for seeing people change and for being a part of that. Whatever it is, it's there and it's always been there for a reason. I believe there used to be a myth in the church. Maybe it's caused some burnout in your heart. And the myth was this, serving is only sacrifice. To serve God and do what he wants you to do should be hard and it should always feel like work. The harder it is, the holier it is. Jesus called us to give up everything and follow him and so that should be hard and we should be miserable. And that's how we know we're serving the Lord. See, I believe that's a myth. I think it's ridiculous, honestly. And I think that it's a myth that, like all of myths, maybe was born in some truth. What God has called you to do will require sacrifice. But sacrifice in putting others before yourself. Not sacrifice in being miserable every day of your life. I think God calls you to places and purposes that make your heart come alive. I think when you start to make the sacrifices he calls you to, because they're sacrifices that God has asked you to do, they make you feel more whole and more full and less miserable and less like you're having a hard time and less like it's difficult and more like it's something that makes you feel alive. I believe that's true because he's the one who made you. 
And so what he calls you to is what he's made you for. He created your heart. And so he knows how to make it come alive. He would not have given you a love for children only to call you to serve somewhere far away from them. Here's my point. When you discover your purpose, serving doesn't always feel like sacrifice. It does sometimes. It's hard. There's hard. There's, there's troubles. There's, there's things that come up against us for certain. But when we serve in our purpose, it makes us feel alive. At the gathering, our goal is to lead you in such a way that you're able to clearly see wins when they happen. The vision for what you're doing and why you're consistently, why you're doing it are consistently given to you and that you would be able to connect your purpose to where and how you can use it. Jesus called us to follow him and understand there's a cost. But he also said that in John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy. And I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The enemy wants us to think it's the other way around. That when we do the things that serve us, we'll feel full. We'll be happy. And that when we do the things that serve Jesus, it'll take our joy. But he says it's the opposite. The enemy steals your joy. I give you life. And that's why you have a purpose. And so discover your purpose or rediscover it or just step into it because there's so much more for you than living. You were made to thrive. And you can only do that when you're living in your purpose and using your gifts to serve others and glorify God. That's why we have the growth track. That's why this week we're trying to make the growth track easier for you to access. We know it's a, it's a weird time and, and it's an odd time to be trying to sit in a small room with people or, or to, to, find, to figure it all. We're just, we're with you. We're trying to figure it out alongside of you. And so moving the growth track online is our way of making it accessible, not just to those of you in this room, but those of you who are serving us, who are online, not back yet, and you're ready to find a way to serve. We want to make that possible for you. We want to make this as easy as possible because we believe your purpose matters and we want to help you discover it. Know your part and together we can make a difference. And then finally, the last thing is this. Go all in. Go all in. If you've been here a while, maybe you've heard me say this before. We like to issue this challenge at the gathering. Because I wonder what would happen. I wonder what would happen if you were to give this, following Jesus, everything, all that you have, to say yes to all of it. What if you just gave it one year? And you said, in one year, I'm just going to try this. I'm going to get I'm what I've tried everything else. It didn't work. What if I give all that I am to him for one year? What would happen? I'm talking about all in. Commit to the principle of the first. Be here every Sunday. Fast when, when, when our church fasts or when the spirit calls you to fast. Serve on the dream team. Give the first part of your finances. Get on, the, get on the serve options that we have when we do things like serving with the Asheville Dream Center. When we take mission trips, just say yes. Just say yes to it. I'm going to go all in. I'm going to give this. I'm going to figure out my part in this. And then I'm going to go all in on my part. Whatever it is God made me to do, I'm going to do it the very best that I can. What if you just gave it one year? What if for one year you woke up every single morning with discipline 
and said, I'm going to pray, I'm going to worship, I'm going to study God's word and I'm going to get to know him better. I just wonder what would change in your life if you began to live these things out every day with everything you are for one year. I've had people take me up on that. I was telling them, you know, hey, you know what? Uh, one year, no obligation. If you, if you do this, you go all in for a year, you don't like how things turn out, then on the other side, you're free to go. You know, I will not bother you, no, no guilt, just go, it's fine. I've never had anybody come up to me and say that, but what I have had is many people on a Sunday like this, where I, where I encourage you to do this, come up to me afterwards and say, hey, just so you know, a year ago, you said, go all in and give it everything that I have, and I did it this year. I mean, I, mean, I wasn't perfect, you know? There were days where I was too tired and 15 minutes mattered, amen? Amen, you know, and there was times when, when I just couldn't, I, I wasn't perfect, but I gave it a year and I really went more all in than I ever had before and my life is completely different. It's changed, I'm changed. Who I am is different than who I was a year ago. I've got more peace than I've ever had, more joy than I've ever had. I've, I've got, I understand my why more than I ever did. I'm not ready to slow down. I'm ready to keep going. I'm ready to serve. I'm not here to, I'm not here to, to rest. I'm here to work. I want to do what I'm called to do for the rest of my life because now I understand what that is. And I just believe if you'll go all in, that on the other side of that for you is a life that is forever changed. I think there's two different answers to the call that Jesus gave us. Two different answers. We see, we see them in the Bible. First is a story in Mark chapter 10. I'm going to paraphrase it for you. There's this young man and he's, he's lived a privileged life. He's had much of what the world says should give you peace and satisfaction. He's had it. He's lived it. And he's also believed and revered God like, like many people do. He's thought, you know what, God, I want God to be a part of my life. I, I want the church to be, I want my kids to grow up in church. That's important to me. I want to I have a, a, some sort of spirituality in my life that matters. And so he's followed the commands and he sees Jesus. And Jesus is changing everything. And he goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, what do I need to do to enter into the kingdom of heaven? Give me the bare minimum. What do I have to do to know that I'm secure if this all doesn't work out? And Jesus says, well, obey all my commands and the law and the prophets. And the guy says, check, doing it. I'm crushing that, doing it so good. Nobody's ever obeyed laws better than me. You should know I'm the best. And then Jesus says, okay, well then leave everything that you have and follow me. Go and sell everything you have. Get rid of all your possessions. Come follow me. And it says the man walked away sad because he had much. And he wasn't willing to let it go. And I wonder what the rest of his life was like. I wonder how many times he thought back to that day. I wonder if the, the answers that he was looking for in that conversation with Jesus came from those possessions that he went home to. There's another story where Jesus approaches this group of fishermen. And there's, there are four guys, they're fishing. Fishing is all they ever have known. Their fathers were fishermen, they're fishermen. They fish, it's what they do. They love it, they, they catch, they're fishermen. And Jesus comes to them and says, I want you to follow me. Leave everything that you have, follow me, and I will turn you into fishers of men. And it says that they left their nets. <laughs> they just pulled the boats up, they left them, and they just went and followed him. Peter, Andrew, James, and John. They lived a life that was fulfilled and filled with purpose that mattered, that changed generations. I just think we have two ways that we can respond and there's not really an in-between. 
we either respond like the man who we never hear anything else about in scripture, just disappears. Or we respond like the people who change the world. My prayer for us gathering church is that we are the ones that change the world, that we get it, that we say, this is all that matters. And I'm going to give myself to this. If you're in here today and you, you haven't received that life changing message of the gospel yet, you're like my friend wondering what it is that makes, makes us a little bit different that have him in, in our lives that have the Holy spirit inside of us. This is, this is it. It is, it is a moment where you get to make a decision that both of these guys got to make one that chose to go home unchanged and four that went away forever changed. All you have to do is say yes and accept the sacrifice that was made for you 2000 years ago. And guess what? What happens next isn't always easy. It's a lot of it's finding freedom and discovering your purpose. It's work to do. It's not like tomorrow you're going to walk out of here and, and everything's perfect. No, it's not like that. But what happens is you enter into a family that helps you discover all of this and walk it out and enter into a life fulfilled together. If that's you and you're ready to make that decision, every head bowed, every eye closed, just say this prayer with me right now. It's like your wedding vows. All the things we learn about marriage that really matter come after that. But that's the moment where it begins. Heavenly Father, Forgive me for all the sin in my life. Forgive me for the mistakes that I've made. Forgive me for all the times I tried to do it on my own. I ask, Lord, that you would enter my life. I say yes to following you. I give myself to you. Everything that I am, I am all in. I surrender myself to you today. Thank you for making a way for me. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The Gathering Church podcast is produced by the Gathering Church creative team. Want to get involved? Fill out a connect card online at gatherashville.org. Find us on Facebook at The Gathering Church or on Instagram at Gather Asheville.